Are you sure, Walter? That's an actual working time machine? I'm, uh, I'm afraid so, Mr. John Connor. It looks as if the Terminator is um, on its way back to May 12th, 1984. What? That's years before Judgment Day. Why then? Why not the Battle of Palo Alto? They almost had us then. I know why, Reese. It's nine months before I was born. Oh my god. That machine is going to impregnate your mother. Uh, no, actually, I, I believe it's going to kill her before uh, Mr. Connor was born. Uh, that would uh, mean the resistance will never have happened. My god. We're doomed. Well, not to worry. Uh, we are still here. Not to worry. That robot is going to terminate our future by terminating our past. Try to keep up, Reese. Hiding in those bunkers all those years. Did you ever watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Sure. The chaplain made us all watch it. One of the last surviving relics of the old times. Remember how they make the keys to the jail appear by deciding that later they will go back and put them there? I remember there was a water slide. It was amazing. Uh, I, I believe uh, what Mr. Connor is trying to say is that if the Terminator had succeeded in the past, no matter how long it took, we would have instantly vanished here in our present, erased from the timeline, so to speak. But if one of us uses the machine to uh, perhaps go back... And to destroy the Terminator before it gets to my mother, then we survive. And since we survived, that's exactly what one of us might have done. But how can we know for sure? We can't. But we know a single woman in the 1980s doesn't have much that can stop a Terminator. We've got to send someone back to make sure. Hey, uh, I, I have an idea. As long as we've got a time machine, we can just send somebody back to the creation of Skynet and uh, kill all the Terminators in advance. No, it's got to be a little more than nine months before I was born. Uh, why? Um, paradox. Well, uh, technically, this whole mission is a paradox. I think we've already seen that the space-time continuum can handle it. Nope. <laughs> Definitely a paradox. Unacceptable paradox. Well, well, then, we should at least send a squad. One man against a T-1 has got a 50-50 chance at best. I'll get ten of my best guys. No. It has to be one man. And it has to be you. Me? Why? Paradox. Huge paradox. Paradox all over the place. That doesn't make any sense! Look, Reese, you're my best guy. You're close to my best guy. You're definitely in my top 10 or 20 guys. You're the only one who can do it. Wait, you mean I'm not in your top 20 of guys? You're 21, Walter. Okay. You've got to do it, Reese. For the resistance. If the Resistance needs me, I'll do it. Well, John, it hasn't exactly been fun, but it's been an honor. Okay, Walter, hit it! Um, you have got to take off all your clothes. What? That's that's how it works. So you, you have to be naked. Damn Skynet and his damn naked robots. Turn around, Walter. You know, John, it's a weird coincidence how all those years ago, you gave me your mom's photo for no reason. And now I'm going to meet her. Yeah, that's so weird. Uh, underwear, too? No peeking, Walter. Hey, Reese, one question. Yeah, John? Were you born early enough to know what a condom is? What's a condom? 
Never mind. Not important for this assignment. Goodbye, John. Goodbye, Dad. What? I mean, dude. Goodbye, dude. <laughs> there goes one of the bravest men I ever knew. He's, uh, he's gonna have sex with your mom, isn't he? Shut up, Walter. Oversinkingit.com with me if you want to live. Welcome back. Episode three of the Overthinking It podcast. I am here with, uh, for the first time since episode one, Matthew Belinky. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing great. Look Last at- time we talked, uh, the uh, Oscar-nominated short films were pending. What do you think of the winner? I think we're actually going to need like an entirely different podcast, possibly a two-parter, to discuss exactly what went wrong in the Academy's voting for Best Live Action Short Film 2008. Travis, ar- artistic travesty, in short. Yeah, and you really don't want to get me started. <laughs> I will be as relentless as a Terminator in hunting down uh, that French piece of abomination. Oh, a little, uh, a little foreshadowing there. Uh, we got Pete Fenzel with us. Pete, how's the weather in Boston? Oh, it's lovely. Cold <laughs> and rainy, just like mom used to make. Yeah, I, I believe it. <laughs> wow, your sound quality is great, Pete. Are you, are you rocking some kind of special audio equipment? Uh, oh, I'm always rocking some special equipment, Matt. Uh, no, I, yeah, I got myself a Skype-compatible uh, uh, a uh, pair of headphones here. I uh, got them half price at Radio Shack. Brick and mortar, people. It's all about the brick and mortar stores. I know. Support I, your local Radio Shack. I bought mine he online. He just knows how to project. He just knows <laughs> how to use his voice properly, you know? He is a trained actor. I want your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. <laughs> right. I'm glad it's not a video podcast. Oh, and I know that laugh. It's Mr. Jordan Stokes joining us for the first time. Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm uh, happy to be here, Matt. <laughs> that was that was witty. Wow, way to way to prepare way to prepare some banter for the um, for the open. Uh, like, well, to self pre-prepare witty banter. <laughs> wasn't that in the memo? Didn't I send a memo out? There was about... a memo. There was a memo. I'm sorry. That's that's a joke. That's an in joke that requires explanation. I sent an email out and inadvertently left Pete off of it. I was just. <laughs> typing fast i was crushed crushed so crushed i was crushed flatter than if you put me in some sort of vice that it was capable of crushing a robot it would crush me more i was so uh, crushed well you sent me a little frowny face emoticon you know (laughs) so i you know i thought that that's you know uh well it is terminator week on overthinkingit.com uh the title of this podcast is how to survive a terminator attack we will get to that later in the program but first we are going to talk a little bit about the terminator franchise and uh overthink it in true oti style so uh terminator week uh including posts like overthinking it Dot com with me if you want to live an analysis of the Sarah Connor Chronicles from Stokes and a recap of uh, Belinky's excellent Skynet parody from uh, early early in the days of the blog. But uh, the idea for Terminator Week really started with Stokes, who just out of the blue wrote some Terminator related uh, posts. So, Jordan, what prompted you to do that? Well, there are a couple of things. It was actually a, a request 
which I don't know if that's the uh, the first request that we've had here on the blog. It's certainly the first one that I fulfilled uh, from from uh, Mr. Lee, our Photoshop guru, who has also been watching that show and who's just like, you know, somebody somebody better get on that and start writing a whole lot about it. He does and, great you know, Photoshop, I, that guy. He really does. Yeah. I mean, did Matt? Uh, did he do the? Did <laughs> he do listening. the? Did he do the? I hope he's listening. I hope he's one of the like the four people subscribed to our podcast feed. <laughs> Possibly the one. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Matt, oh, did you? Did he do the Pac-Man, the death of a Pac-Man graphic for you? No, I actually stole that off of somebody else's blog. (laughs) 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 He he may have actually done it for them. Could have been, honestly. Okay, so so Jordan, Mark wanted you to um, Mark wanted you to talk about uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles. Yeah, I think that he was expecting more like just sort of like, oh my god, you see what happened there? You know what's going to happen next? But I uh, I flipped the script on him and and ranted about uh, the eighties and you know theories of narrative. You are the right. only one who's seen the Sarah Connor Chronicles. So just in a little short capsule review, what do you think of it? It's a really great show, and I know that it doesn't particularly have a right to be, uh, but, you know, they uh, they put a lot of effort into it and probably a lot of money, which is why it might might be ending up getting canceled. We'll, uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed that doesn't happen. Um, but, yeah, it's it's really good. They managed to expand the mythology a lot, uh, go into the kind of the future chronology of the Terminator, which is like – very important to the movies, but they never talk about. So, uh, right. you know, for fan fiction, which is about the status that I'd accorded, there's really a, a lot of room for it to go into. Uh-huh. Now, uh, only it just um, it just had its season finale on Monday, only nine episodes on account of the writer's strike. Uh, right. Did you feel like it was unfinished in that time or did they manage to wrap it up in some fashion? Uh, no, not so much. They, uh, they managed to wrap up one plot line, which wasn't the most important plot line. They actually, uh, asked a lot of questions. Uh, there's an, an FBI agent that's been hot on Sarah Connor's trail throughout the season. And, right. In uh, in this episode, he, uh, he came to blows with one of the Terminators, which naturally that's, that's is kind of raunchy. Him, uh, that's a little bit risque for network television. <laughs> Right. <laughs> That's clearly what I was going for there. Is the oral sex part. So I was surprised to see that. Careful, and guys. Honestly, we have I... a we have a clean iTunes tag on this podcast. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have a clean iTunes tag on this podcast. <laughs> that would be a tactical error. So let's. So... Can I can I take that as a segue to ask? Has John Connor had sex with a hot female Terminator who was assigned to protect him? He has not. But in the, in the season finale, they had a moment where she was uh, powered down, and he, he gave oh, her God. a long look and kind of brushed her hair back from her head. Which, let me say that the only thing creepier than having sex with a uh, killer robot from the future is having sex with an incapacitated, <laughs> is statutorily raping a, uh, <laughs> a killer robot. No means no. Robot no means robot no. But Jordan, have they at least laid the groundwork by by saying that the robots are sort of trained and all sort of to, to paraphrase Lieutenant Data, they're skilled in like 19 forms of human physical expression. There's and plenty of other television functional. shows where robots have sex, Matt. You can go hunt them down <laughs> if you want to watch robots have sex. I mean, they're largely from overseas, but I'm sure you can find them. I am fully functional. <laughs> oh, man. 
So no, okay, <laughs> no. I got. Well, uh, no, and uh, then... they, they haven't they haven't laid that particular groundwork, but they have laid it down that she's uh, she's curious about the mechanics because it would help her blend in better to understand these things. Okay, so and they have laid that they, they, They've laid a little groundwork. She's curious. She's so young. She's curious. And, like, there's going to be a scene next season where like they watch porn together. And like, it's like the Decameron. Yeah. It's like Boccaccio. Right. She's like I the princess in Egypt. <laughs> if there is, in fact, the next season, that scene will not exist. So that, those posts are up. As we record this, it is Tuesday night. It probably won't get posted on the blog until Thursday or Friday. So by that time, you will have read these posts on the blog. And if you haven't, surf over to www.overthinkingit.com. But uh, here's what we have scheduled. Pete, tell us about... Killing machines throughout history. I mean, don't oh, give away the yeah. Don't give away. Don't give away the uh, store because you know we want them to come back. But uh, tell us what you got planned. Oh sure. Well, uh, I did. I put a little research in. Did a little bit of fresh work. Put in a little stuff that I was familiar with before. Just sort of a little trot through memory lane of different ways that people figure out to create relentless, um, soulless killing machines. It's just sort of a pattern people get into over time. Uh, really, the most interesting thing I found in my research was uh, reading up on the hell burners of the Battle of Antwerp in the 16th century, um, which were a variation on the fire ship. Um, which are so a little bit more common, a little bit more well-known, but still fairly obscure. Um, these are unmanned uh, ships that are sailed into enemy formations, and in this case, towards a besieging army building a bridge uh, laden with uh, hundreds of pounds of explosives. Um, the idea Wait, being is, that... <laughs> these are actual killing machines throughout history? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. As opposed not, to just not... a series about, like, you know, the Terminator traveling back through time and terminating various <laughs> historical figures? <laughs> That would be really awesome. No, no, I was writing about various um, sort of um, pilotless killing machines. Um, I think you should consider. (laughs) Perhaps. Perhaps I should write about uh, the Terminator trying to kill Alexander Hamilton. I really think that that would be uh, a really – no, it would be excellent. I really think that the Terminator would be an anti-federalist. I don't think that he would really appreciate the national debt um, as a unifying uh, factor. Terminators are all about states' rights. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so that's what uh, that is what is in store uh, for readers of the blog during Terminator Week and uh, other things, including some nitpicky, nitpicky questions about the movie from Matt Belinky. But moving on into our discussion for today, uh, the Terminator franchise it now encompasses the Terminator, uh, mm-hmm. nineteen eighty four, Terminator two, Judgment Day, nineteen ninety one, which T- has sort of like a like a nice friendly abbreviation T two. T2, and then <laughs> T2 3D, Battle Across Time, a 1996 3D movie for Universal Studios theme parks. Yeah, that's just a motion ride, isn't it? It's no, like 10 it's, minutes long. No, it has a it- – uh, it's one of these things. It's a 3D movie on a big screen that then oh. has like live effects, like steam shoots out of the stage or something like oh, so that. so it's like Captain Ego. But it's better than Captain EO because in it, I remember because I saw it. I find that hard to believe. Captain yeah. EO is pretty good. <laughs> I actually, I I've seen them both, and I take exception with the better than Captain EO thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. But there are live there are live actors. There are like theme park actors in it as oh. well, and they like step behind the screen. And when they step behind the screen, like Arnold walks on the screen so there's like fake arnold who walks in shadow through the through the audience and you never see his face and then like steam comes out from different places and at the very end your seat shakes your seat jolts i'm sorry spoiler alert yes spoiler Spoiler. alert (laughs) i I just remember that arnold at the end has to fight something which is referred to as the t1 million 
I'm not at all kidding. <laughs> T1 million is a giant computer-generated spider. And despite, <laughs> despite the, the large number of zeros after its name, it is very easily defeated. By, Wasn't like, the villain in Captain EO also a giant spider? No, it was a woman. It was a woman oh, it was with Angela Bass. No, not Angela. Who was it? It was Angelica Houston. Yeah. Angelica Houston. Yeah. In the, Clearly, yeah, the villain for the Michael Jackson one would be a woman. But she had, <laughs> she had, uh, she had tentacles like a spider, or like long metallic fingernails, or something. I remember something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's floating. She's Star Trek reference of the night. She was like the Borg Queen, basically. She's actually more like the Borg Queen. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> Alice, right, Kr- right. Alice Krieger as the Borg Queen in. Uh, Star Trek First Contact. Never mind. Great list. Uh, okay. Terminator 3, The Rise of the Machines, 2003. Uh, long rumored to be a franchise killer, but no. Uh, we have now the TV show Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles. And uh, I guess in not pre-production, but rumored for the future, announced for the future, Terminator Salvation, The Future Begins. Slated for 2009 with Mick Got a press G. release from our, our, our secret correspondent uh, on politics. Oh, yeah? But, uh, New Mexico will be the site of the shooting of it. It's all uh, lined up. Wow. So it's, it's all – it's ready to go. So Terminator 4, uh, now slated for 2009, Mick G., Director of <laughs> one of the Charlie's Angels movies, I think. The full throttle of the two Charlie's Angels right. movies. And co-creator <laughs> – of the OC. Oh, really? And speaking of uh, lo- long rumored as a franchise killer, Mick G is a. I wish Mel, you know, recently, keep in mind, he recently earned some uh, artistic cred with uh, We Are Marshall, a well received movie, actually. Mick so, G. Which, did we are was, Marshall? I love We Are Marshall. He I actually, love- like. It was like a very purposeful, like, you know, I don't want to get typecast as like a guy who does sort of softcore porn comedies. (laughs) (laughs) Bosley. Oh, Oh, Bosley. Well, you got to when you're whenever you're talking about the Terminator franchise, you also can't forget the Terminator 2 was one of the best rail shooters ever made. Uh, Really a defining game of the genre. Um, I don't know if we got a lot of House of the Dead fans out there, but I'm just coming out and saying the Terminator <laughs> 2 Judgment Day is a fine rail shooter. Although with the helicopter chasing the back of your van, that was a pain in the ass level, and that was a real uh, real difficult one. But is. I remember being quite amused by the fact that like when you tried to push the play button, if you hadn't put any quarters in, Arnold would be, no way, Jose. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the level of detail that like I really like in my, uh, my arcade machines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's incredible. Well, so considering the franchise uh, and, you know, overthinking the franchise, as is our want, let's talk about its place in cinematic history. Pete, what is unique about the Terminator franchise? Well, I mean, the first thing that's really unique about the Terminator franchise is Arnold. But I think we need to come back to that in a little bit and sort of define on a more basic level what we're talking about. Because we start with a movie that's very modest in its ambitions but succeeds on a lot of different levels, right? So you got this um, – it's essentially a, a slasher movie, a horror movie you've got this monster who's chasing this girl and there's a hero who's trying to save her and um there's a lot of sort of conventions that you're going to want to go through about sort of relentlessness and yeah. inevitability and all this other stuff um and and i think that the nice, time like, love making scene to a soft rock song exactly exactly and, and i think that um 
I mean, a lot of the conventions in the movie that become the Terminator franchise, I think, are put in there as, as ways of solving problems or ways of heightening the action or taking advantage of things that have already been established. So, I don't know. I mean, it's very sci-fi, obviously. Very sci-fi, very horror movie-ish, but not really horrible. Sort oh, of no. in the same You got yeah. your sci-fi chocolate in my horror movie peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> now, wait a second. It's all good. <laughs> Yeah. And, then, and then in the second movie, they add some like hardcore action caramel. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's like it's like um, it's and, like uh, Cameron does with Alien and Aliens, right? He go he he just for, transform. He sort of takes a movie that's established as kind of a horror thriller and kind of sucks the horribleness out of it, and like makes it this sort of neat, clean little compelling you know franchise and i mean he does this with terminator one i'm not talking just about the step between terminator one and terminator two but like terminator one is a sort of cleaner neater horror movie it's like a it's got a real style to it and it doesn't rely a lot on um on the kind of like you know angsty uncomfort discomfort and suspension of your sense of identity that comes with being really scared um i don't That's know interesting. i don't find uh, yeah, what's interesting to me though is that uh james cameron is also responsible for predator one isn't he which is like you could look at that as kind of a, a practice run for uh, for Terminator. It's much more horror-ish. Oh, was Predator before Terminator? Hold on, Isn't I'm, I'm researching that right now. Yeah, we're we're IMDBing. Uh, Aliens is before is before Terminator Two is after Terminator. Mm. As as a writer, it's 1987, so it actually does postdate um, the Terminator One. Uh, no, the the. But Cameron wasn't involved in Predator, was he? No, he's not. He's not involved. That would be John uh, McTiernan, the guy who did Die Hard, does Predator. Oh, okay, interesting. Uh, dead that end. But but okay. So Jordan, what's the difference? I mean, you have Predator, and Pete mentioned the Alien franchise. Uh, these things don't have the staying power of Terminator. What do you think accounts for the, you know, uh, for its uh, exceptionalism? the record, there was an Alien Predator movie that came out this year, so let's not talk about the staying power of Aliens Predators. <laughs> right. Sorry. Sorry. Whoever Sorry, wins. I'll, I'll back off. I'll let Jordan talk, but I just want, for the record, whoever wins, we lose. For the you record. Know, I, didn't the see record. That, I didn't see that movie. And that was AVP, yeah, like, I don't think... 2, wasn't it? AVP it R. AVP R. It, uh, it was actually AVP Requiem. Yeah, but it was the, <laughs> it was the second in in the AVP offshoot of that, those franchises, right? Yeah. Which means that if they, if they do one more, there's, it's already going to beat uh, Predator. You know, I saw, the, <laughs> I saw the first one on TV. I just I didn't see, except for whoever wins, we lose. I just didn't pay much attention to it. So I stand corrected, as usual. And actually, I, I just like to point out that that's not true, that the Predators are very much on the side of the humans. And if the Predators win, we win as well. If the aliens win, we lose. <laughs> That's how it turns out to work out in the movie, I believe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah wow. this, this is true. So it's definitely like they try to make it out that like, oh, it doesn't even matter who you root for, but they really do want you to root for the predators. It does. It does, in fact, matter who you root for, much like the Democratic primary contest. <laughs> you know, you know, Hollywood has a definitive predator bias. I'm just saying. <laughs> so. Uh, it- which which of the Democratic candidates would you know? What, I'm not going to finish this because I know how it works out. It's racist. <laughs> Jordan, anything to the the doctrine of Terminator exceptionalism? 
I'm sorry, say that again. I, I had a bad connection. Of all the like horror sci-fi franchises that came out around, we were talking about it before we started recording the podcast. You said that you know Terminator is the one that that sort of stands out, is the most successful of them, and I was just wondering what you think accounts for that. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I don't know if it's. Um... I said uh, in my, my blog post earlier, I think that actually probably the Alien movies are better movies taken as a whole. Um, like, I don't know. But Terminator is the one that, that everyone runs around quoting. You know, like uh, people, people, people go around saying, go now. Uh, still, people, people don't really say, uh, game over, man, game over in the same way. So for, for some reason, it probably does boil down to Arnold uh, a lot. Terminator is the one that, that catches on. I would like to and say I that, that I very, also... very... Oh, sorry, you go. No, no, no. Oh, I was just going to say that I very often interrupt conversations by saying, I don't know if you're paying attention to current events, but we just got our asses kicked. <laughs> <laughs> I say that at work. When, I think that when I, whenever I say, you know, for the future reference of this blog, whenever I say people don't go around quoting particular line from, you know, 80s movie X, it doesn't apply to you. <laughs> Point taken. I'll step aside. I apologize. Present company is accepted. One thing I'd actually like to point uh, out is that the Terminator is is one of a bunch of recent movies that have tried to take sort of classic monster movies and replace these supernatural and uncanny with science. Like you have vampire movies like sort of Blade and uh, a really horrible movie, Ultraviolet. Oh, that Matt and I watched. We watched all but, the way through. And when you want it to fast forward. Come, uh, like it can be scientifically explained. It's, it's a disease. It's not like some sort of uh, curse. And then like you Resident have like. Yeah, like yeah, like Resident Evil is like you know sort of a zombie movie, uh, or even like Twenty Eight Days Later, um, and and what I think Terminator does really well is like it's it's the exact same thing as the Mummy, but it instead of like you know you don't have to resort to like an ancient Egyptian curse. It's like a perfectly you know modern scientific explanation that that has the exact same effect as if you had raised a mummy that's like hunting you down except it's a it's a reverse mummy because he begins as arnold and he ends up as as a skeleton this is what you pointed out before we started recording the the podcast yeah that that you know traditionally the the mummy he starts as this sort of desiccated corpse and then he hunts down the people who dug him up and when he hunts them down he sort of sucks their essence and and he and he gets more and more fleshy Um, Yeah, and, and until, like, by the end of the movie, he looks human, um, whereas it's the opposite with the Terminator, that he starts looking human, and as the movie goes on um, in Terminator 1, he loses an eye, and he has to wear sunglasses, uh, and then at the very end of Terminator 1, um, in, in a, a great scene, he actually gets all his skin burned off, and he's reduced to this robotic exoskeleton, which is, it's amazing, the special effects in that scene are so bad by today's, I'm sorry, endoskeleton, endoskeleton. <laughs> I do know my Latin prefixes. Um, and the special effects in that scene are really bad by today's standards, probably at the standards of the time, but it still works amazingly because the design of that endoskeleton is so iconic. And it, and it really is like, I mean, it's, it's really creepy when that sort of like silvery skeleton starts sort of limping after you. I'm looking, yeah, I'm looking at the picture on IMDb right now, and it is, I mean, it's creepy with those red pupils. Hmm. So let's talk about the 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 actor called upon to, you know, uh, undertake the enormous challenge of filling out that endoskeleton, uh, Arnold. <laughs> and let me start with the hypothesis that the arc of the Terminator movies uh, as a franchise is kind of the arc 
of Arnold's career. You know, that it started out as the, you know, a kind of scrappy upstart with, you know, without a lot of fancy schmanciness, but with real spirit. Uh, it peaked, perhaps, with, with T2, and that we are now with, you know, T3. Uh, we're now in the Baroque phase and lassitude and a decline into decadence. Discuss. I would definitely, I would, I would definitely buy into that more if there were a subsequent Terminator movie that just like did something completely unrelated, like was an instructional film on how to fix your bathroom. Because, because like, <laughs> Arnold doesn't like go away; he just like jumps the track and is like, you know what? I'm not going this way anymore. I'm going another way. I'm going to rule the world. Fuck you guys. And, like I don't know. Yeah, that's my take on it anyway. And I'd love to watch the Terminator movie about like you know fixing up your your kitchen cabinets. Or not your super successful as a as a governor. I mean. I know people – I'm from Los Angeles originally, and I know people who voted for the governor when he was running and then voted on some of the ballot initiatives to sort of, you know, authorize Arnold's bond issues or, or things like – authorize Arnold's bond issues. That is the – yeah, that's the, that's the strangest euphemism for masturbation that I've ever come up with. Authorizing <laughs> Arnold's bond issues, and uh, okay. he's not terribly successful as a governor. Though California is sort of an impossible state to govern. I mean, he's not a a train wreck either, though, right? I like, guess not. I mean, I get it. He's still there, right? right. Yeah. yeah, he did. Yeah, he ran again in a in a real election, and he got elected. Well, like, look at it this way: he's not There's terribly a... successful as a Terminator either. I mean, he failed his mission. <laughs> In the city, like, he does kind of protect John Connor, but like he almost fails on numerous occasions. Like, not a dunk at all. So like yeah. really like he's sort of like as a Terminator as he is as the governor. Like maybe he gets the job done, but like he's he takes a lot of punishment in the meantime, and it looks like you know it's going to go completely off. The, like the state is going to fall into the ocean for a long yeah, time. Like, like there is a train yeah, wreck, but a... like walking unscathed, like on fire. Anyway. <laughs> There's a wonderful uh, quote from Arnold where uh, after all those bond issues, he had had a special election for them and they all failed. And somebody asked him about the possibility of a Terminator 4. And he actually said, I would make a Terminator 4 and have the Terminator go back in time to tell Governor Schwarzenegger not to have the special election. <laughs> Wait, no, no joke. He actually I'm said that. Watch that. And it's apparently true. <laughs> I would watch that movie. I definitely would love it. to see that. Um, Terminator, the first Terminator movie predated uh, the X-Files and predated, you know, the current crop of uh, shows like Lost or Heroes with huge story arcs and mythologies and yet kind of prefigures them as well in that you know, between the sequels, there's this mythology, this sort of larger story arc that emerges about Judgment Day, about Skynet, and what happens before and after Judgment Day. So, uh, let me throw this out to the panel. Does the Terminator franchise add up to a coherent mythology? Does it all hang together in the way that, you know, the X-Files is said to? No, absolutely not. 
Each movie uh, rewrites, and I mean, you might say that like, oh, each movie has a license to rewrite everything because it's about time travel. So each movie sort of like wipes the slate clean for the next movie. Okay, let's take up time travel. I mean, that's that's the that's the elephant in the room. Time travel is the <laughs> elephant in the room. The killer robot elephant in the room. Yeah. <laughs> and I am going that's to a movie right there. <laughs> that's true. Horton hears a what? Right. Horton hears a killing machine. Yeah. Um, yes, no, the time, the time travel. So there are different kinds of time travel movies, and I'm going to posit a spectrum running from the Back to the Future movies all the way to Greek tragedy, where, <laughs> <laughs> where on the one hand, in the Back to the Future movies, the claim is that you actually can change the future. The choices that you make now and in the past sort of instantaneously change uh, what will happen in the future. And uh, Greek tragedy being uh, no matter where you go, there you are, and Oedipus is going to end up where he's going to end up, and no amount of human agency can alter that. Is this a useful continuum for discussing the Terminator movies? Do they fall somewhere along it? It would be more useful if there were time travel in Greek tragedy, <laughs> which would also be awesome. But I'll step away from that for a little bit. It's interesting that you bring up Greek tragedy because it actually applies pretty well to the first Terminator movie in that, in, in this case, you're casting Skynet as essentially Oedipus. Um, That's interesting. <laughs> right. and it, and Skynet is sort of trying to change its fate, and of course, all it does is result in the conception of John Connor, which never would yeah. have happened had it not sent the Terminator back into the past to try to prevent the conception of John Connor. Right, right, and they're right, actually right. probably probably better not Oedipus, but whoever the father is who like says, "Oh, well, I'm going to go put my son out on the mountain to die, and that way he can never possibly kill me," and you know, gets it in the end, right? Yes, yeah, or yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it was just um, it was just what was supposed to happen all along, mm. right? Well, in time, Greek tragedy. Of course, what's time. interesting? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> Pete went kind of last time. Jordan, you go this time. Kind of interesting thing about the uh, the second um, movie, though, is that I mean, it, I feel like it's kind of a uh, anyone who wanted to like say, "Oh, does the time travel make sense?" It basically rubs their nose in it because you end up having uh, having them go back and destroy the things that caused Skynet to exist in the the first place, so that all of the time travel, all of the people that came from the future are all like paradoxical loops that just pop off, and what comes out of it is like, John Connor has been born for no reason to do nothing, and he's still there, but everything yeah. else is like wiped off. <laughs> I mean, really, if you logically follow the first two Terminator movies, you don't know what comes next. Like, you should be led to believe that, like, destroying Skynet, all that, destroying uh, the company, Cyberdyne Systems, all that does is allow Skynet to be created. Like, A, because that's the way the first movie worked. But, like, like all the events of the first movie merely led to the conception of John Connor and the birth of him and, like, was a preconception for the future happening. And, and so, we're like, retconned because of the arm of the Terminator to have created the Terminator side of things, too. Right, so so like, why wouldn't it work the same way? You destroy cybernetic systems, and like, all that happens is like the government sort of assumes a lot of its research, and like a fire sale, and like blah blah blah. And then the second thing is, of course, you could be like, well, wait, the Terminator and the T one thousand didn't disappear the second that Cybernet was blown up, so maybe it doesn't actually start a chain reaction that like you know causes time travel never to have been invented. In a yesterday's in a yesterday's Enterprise esque 
turn of events, just to refer to one of my favorite Star Trek The Next Generation episodes. <laughs> Star Trek reference in this podcast. I'm not comfortable with this. <laughs> I think that that's also a, under Mr. Fantastic and Dr. Doom time travel rules, so I'm a little bit shitty on this. A little bit shape. Back to the Back to the Future <laughs> and Star Trek time travel rules involve the instantaneous disappearance of things that are paradoxical, uh, you know, given the past that you alter. Well, not, would... not instantaneous. There's like there's like a Back to the Future is interesting in that like if you create a paradox that means you're never born, you sort of gradually feel worse and worse over the course of a week. <laughs> And then disappear over the course of about thirty seconds. Right, right. <laughs> so it's like it's like uh, it's kind of like a quantum state or something where you're kind of there and you're kind of not there. I mean, you have a sort of... like like getting the flu. Yeah, so, you get quantum like... flu. You get quantum quantum flu. Hey, that's a TV show if I ever heard one. But I, I mean, to get back, to get back to the the point of the time travel discussion, no, why would you want to do that? <laughs> I know, I actually enjoyed the discussion. <laughs> like, both movies written by James Cameron, and it is interesting to feel like in the first movie, it's absolutely a very Greek conception, which is that, like, the the chaotic events of Terminator 1 lead to, the final thing that happens in the movie is a picture of Sarah Connor is taken, which is the exact picture that Reese will get in the future. Yep. So it's very clear that everything that's happened has happened exactly the way it was supposed to happen. Whereas in the second movie, despite... You know what, what we're saying that that the characters have every reason to believe, based on the events of the first movie, that you can't change the the future. I think it's pretty clear that James Cameron wants us to believe that the future has been changed. Um, yeah. You know, and and that yeah, that Judgment Day has been prevented, even though he's sort of rewriting well, his own time travel rules. That was that was the original ending of the movie. I don't know if you've ever seen the original ending before they changed it. I remember they showed it on 2020 back before DVDs were around. And it's it's dumb, but it's like, you know, oh, it was Michael Jackson's birthday and nothing happened. He turned 40 and then it's a Linda Hamilton in age makeup playing with people in like the the mall in Washington or something oh, playing really? with children. Yeah, I mean it, I mean of course you you don't want to give a lot of... careful <laughs> careful if you're saying playing with children in the same sentence as Michael Jackson. Hey yo. <laughs> Sing. You should be you should write jokes for Jay Leno. Uh, this is yeah. also our second sl- slap on Michael Jackson in the podcast. Just <laughs> for those keeping score. <laughs> you know, it's very it's very easy to be it's very easy to be a hater. Turning to Terminator 3, um it seems to throw everything I mean not that it really deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as the other two movies, but it seems to throw everything else out in that, you know, it returns to the fatalism, right, of the first Terminator movie and all this, you know, dark roadway stuff of the the end of the second movie that we can't see what's coming in the future is all uh, replaced by we weren't meant to prevent Judgment Day. We were only meant to survive it where the you know the hope that you can actually change the future turns out to be just what dramatic irony well or, Matt, or all that, terminator I... movies are about making terminator movies <laughs> <laughs> the third movie actually money. finds like a like a good compromise be- between the first two movies so that you can't change the future but you can sort of like uh rearrange it a little bit like judgment day will happen but just the date might be sort of like pushed back by certain things so that's that's the that's the biff in Back to the Future 2 model of, uh, of the, you know, t- of time travel that is like, you know, I can't change what's going to happen, but I can make a buck off it. 
You know, I think it's right. also... Yeah, I thought what you were going to say is that, like, Biff will always know? fall into Menorah, but, like, you just don't know how or when he's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, should, that's like, a, you know what? That's funny. I should have said that. Oh, well. <laughs> I, I resolved not to edit that just so I, you know, look stupid. Jordan, what were you saying? Oh, uh, no, nothing important. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> now, Terminator 4, looking ahead to the franchise. Matt, what have you heard about it? Well, I mean, I think it's definitely happening. The The interesting thing about the the first three Terminator movies is that they're dominated by the off-screen presence of John Connor. I know John Connor is actually in the second and third movies, but he's, he's you know, it's a completely different character than, than he's said to be in the future. As this sort of, like, messiah figure, this guy who single-handedly uh, pulls the human race back from the verge of extinction. This almost like, you know, this Christ figure, I think we'd say. Jeez. Um, Right, and and in all three movies, <laughs> JC. <laughs> let's keep in mind that um in in the first two movies, the characters of uh, Reese, the human sent back in time, and in the second movie, the Terminator itself are specifically sent there by John Connor, who's given them certain instructions. Right. So like he's he's sort of this dominating off screen. I'd almost compare it to like waiting waiting for Godot and everything. <laughs> that like there's this sort of unseen character that that's that's. Um, <laughs> Bomo. Parentheses. They do not move. <laughs> <laughs> wow. John Connor is actually not a bad idea. By that, I mean it is, in fact, a very bad idea. But... <laughs> so is this but... just going to be Matrix Revolutions but not shit? Is that what it's going to be or is it going to be like something different? Well, I mean, I think it's supposed to – what I've heard is it begins in the year like 2015, which, you know, let's say is about – I don't know, like – it's it's unclear how many years after Judgment Day that might it might be shortly after Judgment Day. I think that um, Judgment Day was nineteen ninety seven ninety nine. It was supposed to be August 29, 1997, and Terminator Three. It was supposed to be July twenty four two thousand and three, and then. Okay. Uh, but but I think the Terminator TV show is actually already set. Jordan, maybe you know this that they've set a date and it's like two thousand twelve two thousand thirteen. For when uh, Judgment Day comes? Yeah, when the new Judgment Day is supposed to happen. 2011, I think. is. 2011, that. right. So, Wait, that... is there any rationale accounting for the difference between the third movie and the TV series? I believe so. That, like... Like in the in the first episode of the TV series, uh, they go forward in time, actually. Uh, the idea being that Evidently, uh, John Connor saw the third movie, didn't care for it, um, and <laughs> sent a time machine the back in time. Yeah. <laughs> sent a time machine back in time to send them forward to like, from you know, whenever T two. When did T two come out? Ninety four, something like that. Ninety one, uh, I think. From from whatever like a couple years after that to two thousand eight, so they can have the story be set in the in the present without having the people be you know elderly and all so they are, are are they always like making references to like things that happened in like the late 90s and like how they how they're just so amazed that like bill clinton was impeached for like you know having <laughs> they just watched the oj trial for 12 straight yeah. episodes he was so he was so popular he brought us nafta <laughs> oh, i man. think they did that like once or twice in the first episode first two episodes and they were like really bad about it like the, the stuff that he was seeing that he was just amazed by i think was like a laptop which oh you know <laughs> existed at the time as i recall yeah. he was like it's a computer you can carry around damn <laughs> yeah no, they, they were like all right we're just gonna forget about that <laughs> they existed at the time yeah okay yeah 
Now, once you start sending time machines through time, then all bets that's, are off, really. That's Primer. Primer is a – you remember that movie? Yes. That's, that's a movie that's about sending, sending time machines through time. Um, and it's just sort of like really twisty. I recommend it. I don't want to spoil the hell out of it. I won't talk about it for long, but it was good. It wasn't great, but it was good. Um, so if you like low-budget um, sci-fi movies, check out Prime. Right. Much like the Terminator. If you like the original... time travel movies without motorcycle chases for some reason, you communists, go watch them. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or people falling into Manoir. We are going to get uh, to how to survive a Terminator attack, practical advice from our panelists in just a second. But uh, one last question. Do the Terminator movies have a social message? Are these a dystopian parable about an over-reliance on technology? Is there a sort of Luddite sensibility to them? Or is it just an excuse to see Linda Hamilton in a sweaty tank top? Does the message really add up? Who wants to go first? Well, I mean, one thing I've always hated is the very end of Terminator 2, which it's just I didn't know until Pete mentioned that it was it was sort of an alternate ending or you maybe like even a reshoot kind of thing where there's yeah. this sort of very film school 101 shot of like, you know, this dark road. And uh, and Linda Hamilton is like, I, I have hope for the future for the first time, because if a machine, a Terminator can learn the value of human life, maybe we can, too. And I, I think we can all agree that, like, the Terminator it by no means learns the value of human life. It's obeying a direct order not to kill people. It, it's, yeah, yeah. It, it learns the value of human life the same way that it stands on one foot when John Connor instructs it to stand on one foot. Yeah, it's an epilogue. It's not dissimilar from the epilogues from the theater of, like, the 17th century where they just say a couple of nice things that you go home and you have some sort of moral when you it's leave like the, the theater. Sp- it's the spate of marriages at the end of a Shakespearean comedy that's, yeah, exactly. whose only function is to make you feel bad about enjoying everything that's come before. <laughs> it's like, and, and Terminator shall restore amends. <laughs> <laughs> it is not the fashion to see the Terminator the epilogue, but it is no more unfashionable than to see the Lord the prologue. <laughs> oh man so i don't know i mean i, I feel like um I, I mean i feel like the, the first movie is very interesting in that like it's an action movie in which they're fighting not to prevent the apocalypse but just to um be able to survive it on a very very minimal level that like like you know nobody ever in the first movie thinks about trying to prevent judgment day uh, you know, I mean, like, like at the end of the movie, there's still going to be an apocalypse of the human race. And so it's, it's a very grim movie, Terminator 1. And then Terminator 2, I mean, depending on uh, – it's I have nothing – I have no problem with Terminator 2. But if you put it aside Terminator 1, it does seem like James Cameron is wussing out in the sort of like the, the, the Greek tragedy. I think you, you made an excellent point, Matt, in, in comparing it to that. In which like the future is, is written, it cannot be amended, and the more you try to change it, the more all you do is you, you, you walk right into its plan. Um, and I think Terminator 2 gets a little touchy-feely with like, the future is what you make it. So make right. it a good one, which I believe is the point at the end of Back to the Future 3. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of jump in and say that I think that the moral of the Terminator movies is something totally different. I think the Terminator movies are mostly about uh, pregnancy and motherhood and passing from sort of young womanhood into sort of the responsibility of of bearing children. Um, because if it's sort of that's the thing that that is sort of chasing Linda Hamilton throughout the course of this movie is that she has this command that she needs to have a baby. You need to have a baby or the future won't happen. Have a baby now. And uh, and so there's this like terrible killing machine that's going to destroy her if she doesn't have his baby. Um, I mean, keep in mind this is a, you know the first Terminator movie is derived from sort of a slasher film, and those are mostly about the dangers and fears of female sexuality. 
um, you know, and like all the, what what happens to it and and virginity and all the scary stuff. Um, so yeah, I think in the first Terminator movie, you see sort of Linda Hamilton grappling with the 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 demand on her that she have a child, and that Terminator Two is all about motherhood. Uh, and it's about the relationship she has with her son. And, um, you know, the Terminator plays this father figure. Sort of Terminator 1 is the sort of the violator, the, right, the one who sort of, you know, takes her take, – creates the situation she doesn't want and, and sort of like forces this reality upon her, even if Reese is the one who actually does the deed. And then Terminator 2, he's this father figure who's very alien to her. And she doesn't really understand him or like him very much. She doesn't really want him around. But um, she's sort of stuck with him uh, because he happens to be the person that allows her son to be alive. Um, and, and I think that's the allegory. I think that's the heart of the allegory. And I also think it's why Linda Hamilton is the most interesting character. Or it's, it's, it's sort of common cause with the fact that Linda Hamilton is the most interesting character in Terminator 2. Um, and, and it might, it might go on to uh, – might explain why Terminator 3 is such a disappointment is that they, you know, they, they take her out of it. And yeah, they do. With then? They totally do. They they kill her does off. That, and does anyone actually remember if it's like she didn't want to participate, or they actually made a decision that they didn't want Sarah Connor in the movie? Um, I think that uh, was it that she didn't want to be in it. I, I seem to remember hearing something about it at some point. Um, that she well, she was married I, to James I, I Cameron. I believe at the that time. like yeah. I mean, I, I could believe that she's like if James Cameron doesn't want to do it, then I don't want to do this it. This is the uh, this is the IMDb line on it. Uh, Linda Hamilton was initially approached to reprise her role as Sarah Connor, but turned it down. A line in the movie instead has John Connor saying that Sarah died of leukemia in 1997. Well, then they have a gunfight with her coffin. I mean, it's it's pretty. Which is probably the best scene in that movie, actually. <laughs> yeah, but, it's true. Arnold Arnold hoisting the coffin. Yeah, you put you put a link to that picture in your blog post, Jordan. Arnold hoisting the coffin in one hand, the gun in the other hand is awesome. Although let me let me point out, she's not actually in the coffin. The coffin turns out to be empty and is full of weapons. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. this is true. Which, which I don't understand how that was supposed to take place, but I, I mean, it's so like I, Bill. It's like Bill and Ted. It's like you know, we'll put the key right behind the sign. It's like where could we put the weapons? I know in the coffin, and it's all taken care of by time travel later on in the story that you don't see in the movie. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. You know, there actually is a line in Terminator 2, and it might just be in the special edition or something, where um, Sarah's watching John and the Terminator, like, play or talk or do whatever they do. And she's sort of amusing to herself that he's the perfect father, that, like, he, you know, will always be—he'll never be too busy. He'll always play with John. He'll always protect John. He would give his life for John. And that, like, you know—and she's, like, an insane world. It was the sanest choice. And I feel like there's there's a—she's definitely sad when he dies at the end because this is almost— feeling that like the three of them would actually be the perfect uh, post-apocalyptic nuclear family that he's like the strong you know stoic you know defender and she's like the ultimate mother and he's like he's he i don't know what he brings to the table honestly but john connor (laughs) he's like the troubled youth right or whatever he's like the kid with the silly haircut you know know, i never i never got to to, we never really finished talking about terminator 4 before but like because i said the adult john connor has always been like an enigma that you have to imagine who this guy is who rescues the human race but now we know that he's actually uh batman (laughs) (laughs) because if you you haven't heard uh christian bale has been cast as john connor Right. In, uh, and in, uh, in Batman and not like the cleric from Equilibrium uh, or any of his other roles, like the machinist. No, I, the like machinist. <laughs> American psycho. I lost 70 pounds for this role as John Connor. <laughs> anyway. Uh, is this the one he gets right. the Oscar for? Is that what's coming? 
You know what? I, I, <laughs> no, that Oscar. Say, yeah, that Oscar is really for you know the machine. I, I don't feel psycho. like the Terminator uh, films, the new, the the upcoming trilogy, and it is supposed to be a, a trilogy of a, a new trilogy of Terminator films that showed the progress of the future war. Um, I don't feel like they're going to be good, but I'm kind of rooting for them. I feel it's like- the anti-Star Wars, right? The second trilogy takes place in the future, not in the past. Yes, although although sort of, you know, in in a way, because of the time travel, it does, in fact, predate the actions of the first three movies that it will. I think I have a feeling that the third Terminator movie might end exactly where the first one begins with like John Connor being like so long race, which is the the sketch that actually began his podcast. So that that could be like like uh, six years from now, seven years from now, when the third, uh, you know, um, Christian Bale Terminator movie comes out. If it ends with that same scene, uh, I think we should all see it. I think the third Terminator <laughs> movie is going to end up being a Bollywood musical because in seven years, India is going to own all of us. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's another prediction. We'll put that one in the vault. <laughs> sure. Make bold predictions. Always make bold predictions because if you're wrong, no one will remember. And if you're right, then you get to say you're smart. Yeah. By the way, speaking of bold predictions, I'm going to predict right now that if the uh, the Terminator show doesn't get canceled, it's going to turn out that now John Connor is the one who uh, creates Skynet. So the Terminator that's sent back to protect him is actually the evil Terminator, and the ones that are trying to kill him are the good ones. You heard it so, you here know. first. You heard it here on the Overthinking It podcast. <laughs> Just getting that on the record. <laughs> <laughs> it's Yeah, as we record this, it is the 4th of March. 2008 and you heard it first alright now the bit that uh, you've all been waiting for what to do if you have a Terminator on your trail uh, practical advice from our panelists about surviving an attack by Terminators now Jordan I know you've thought about zombies a great deal you and Pete both you and Pete uh, yeah. having you know done some work together on the subject uh, early in your careers Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. What is the difference between a Terminator attack and a zombie attack, uh, other than they move much faster? I think that actually they're uh, extremely different. There's uh, no <laughs> point of similarity whatsoever, except that they kind of stagger. Because okay, zombies. And if they get a, a if they get a limb blown off, they just you know shake it off and keep going. Sure, but you know, zombies. There are a lot of them. As they kill yeah. people, they make more. With Terminators, there is one. There's one. Okay. They're actually more easy to kill. Like a zombie, like if you, if you know how to do it, is is you know you could probably kill it with a crowbar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, zombies are extremely, extremely fragile. Really, I mean, they they will keep coming unless you hit them in the head. But they're extremely fragile. Whereas Terminators can punch through walls. So, okay. <laughs> so it was a, it was a stupid opener. You know what do you what do you want from me? <laughs> Uh, but, uh, I'll, I'll transition. Um, you know. Yeah, pivot that into something funny, yeah. please. Like uh, there's the uh, there's the the Max Brooks uh, great book. Uh, you know what is it called? The Zombie Survival Guide, which basically takes all the things that you learn about zombies from the movies and tells you how you could uh, survive a zombie attack. And if you look at the the Terminator movies, I think there's there's really only one reliable method of surviving an attack, which is to have your own robot bodyguard, a, uh, a commando <laughs> from the future who's trained in anti-robot insurgency would be 
be okay. But statistically, <laughs> you know, two thirds of the time, you're going to want a robot. And it should be Arnold if you can get him, but he's a busy guy. Um, and if you can't get him, I would recommend the good robot Uses from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Because <laughs> uh, they're specifically designed to fight evil robots. They look like they're relatively cheap, which is always a plus, and they have time travel experience. And I think Alex Winter could use the work. But, you know, I, I, I leave the floor open to suggestions. <laughs> Oh man! Um, what I don't about know. If I feel... you, how do you do? How do you survive a Terminator attack? How do you survive a Terminator attack? How do you well, do it? Oh, I mean, first of all, the first problem is you got to identify what kind of Terminator you're dealing with, right? You got your garden run-of-the-mill variety Terminators. It's going to come at you with maybe like a pump-action shotgun. You know, maybe it's going to be driving a truck. Then you got your uh, more exotic models. You got your like liquid metal Terminators. You've got your Terminatrixes, Terminatrices that are going to come after you with really vaguely defined CGI weaponry. Um, I mean, I think that uh, it's important to realize that uh, all the Terminators only seem to attack you when you're in California. So if you stay away from California, you're probably fine. Uh, I've never seen a Terminator attack anybody in uh, you know, the East Coast or anything like that. Um, other than that, I would say, yeah, you, you're, let's, say, let's say hypothetically you're dealing with a, a standard Arnold-issue Terminator, right? He's going to generally be using the weapons that he can find. Um, so one thing you're going to want to do is go to a place with heavy uh, gun control laws and not a lot of weapons around so that the Terminator has to go through customs and has to go through waiting periods before he can get the gut weapons that he needs to come after you. So I'd say like move to like, I don't know, like Luxembourg, something like that. Um, hole up someplace for a little while. And then like when the Terminator starts finally getting to you, just like move somewhere else because the Terminator is never really going to chase you all that fast. And he's only going to be able to use the modes of transportation that are available to him, uh, which means that he, he has trouble getting across town. He's going to have a much bigger problem getting across the world. Um, so you need a lot of wealth. So I would say start with money, um, get access to not a private jet because you could be infiltrated, but you know, like pick an airline that can fly around pretty reliably. And uh, I don't know, I guess an aer- airport, I don't know. Maybe if you stay around places that have lots of breakable glass, it'll distract the Terminator because he'll break all the glass in really dramatic chase scenes rather than kill you right away. So there's not – I mean be- another, another point of difference uh, with zombies is there's not sort of a concomitant breakdown in the social order with the yeah, Terminator. That's yeah. yeah, unless it's the T-1000, in which right. case he's going to dress up like your mom and stab you in the face, and that's right. going to be bad. So – um, yeah, I mean, I think yeah, that... I mean, I'd have to say one of the things we've learned from the Terminator movies, uh, get a dog, because dogs are very good at detecting Terminators of all yes, kinds. Yes, this is true, this is true. <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that, that uh, helps. Heavy machinery, industry, stay around places that have lots of industry. Um, like in, post-industrial cities, uh, go to Pittsburgh, there's lots of steel mill equipment and presses and other sorts of, like, worky things that you can use to fight the Terminator, which are apparently more effective than firearms. You know, I'm, I'm um, going to propose sort of an opposite strategy. He's basically saying you want to sort of hide and play defensive ball. I feel like you might want to sort of try to try to bring it out and confront it, you know, on, in a time and place of your choosing. So uh, the hunter becomes the hunted? Well, because I think one of the things that, that we've learned about Terminators is like – I, I can name a couple of instances in the movies where they, they don't pay attention to their surroundings. They, they'll come at you so relentlessly that they'll put themselves in physical danger and maybe even in situations where they can be very easily destroyed. Um, you know that like the, the Terminator will um, – in, in Terminator 3, for instance, which I'm almost inclined to, to not even cite because I almost feel like it's not uh, canonical uh, – they, I, I can't believe I'm even citing this ludicrous scene as an example. Uh, John Cutter lures it into a particle accelerator. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
<laughs> that's like a perfect example. It follows him right in there as he wants it to, and he turns the thing on, and it gets stuck. Um, and that, like, Terminators don't seem to have much strategy. And I feel like if you, like, put yourself in, like, the middle of a field surrounded by mines, it wouldn't occur to the Terminator, like, wait a second, why is he standing in the middle of that field? This could be a trap. The Terminator's going to walk right at you. And, yeah. you know, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that, like— That's a bad plan because you can't run away because you're surrounded by mines. Oh, you mean, like, have, like, a rocket launcher? And take it out, I, like, while it's at you? No, I mean, I'm not saying that they have a rocket. I, I think I'm saying booby traps is maybe a good way to deal with a, a Terminator. We haven't seen that it has an ability to, like, think, uh, to protect itself. That, like, in the, in the first movie, it's like, okay, Sarah Connor and Reese are fleeing the Terminator. Uh, Sarah Connor continues to flee the Terminator. Reese, like, gets off of the motorcycle. I, I can't even remember how they're fleeing the, the truck with the Terminator in it. And goes and puts a bomb in the back of the... And I feel like if it, any any human who's chasing would be like, whoa, what's that other guy doing? Is that other guy going to, like, attack me from behind? But yeah. the Terminator isn't paying attention because the Terminator is so single-handedly focused on his target that he doesn't notice these people that are sneaking up behind him to put a bomb in his tailpipe. And I feel like well, you, you can... that durability. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, like, like yeah, the fact that, like, so, so basically my suggestion is get good allies. Put yourself in a situation where, like, the Terminator knows where you are and it's going to come straight at you. But, like, you know, it's going to take him a while to get there. And also keep in mind, Terminators don't run. Very <laughs> seldom will you see yeah. a Terminator, like, like full-out run. Terminators you see the T-1000 do it when he's chasing the car. Right. But, but almost like at other points of the movie, like when he's in the steel mill, and it would seem like he should be running because like victory is within his grasp. He's just walking at like a slow and steady pace uh, right. towards John Connor. And so like I feel like you can take that to your advantage. Just be like he's probably going to walk slowly at me. And in the meantime, my friends can like sneak up behind him and he's not paying attention to them. Yeah. Um, I mean I'm, I'm just saying that like I feel like rather than live my life in Luxembourg, I would rather like you know be like I'm going to you know – Fill a steel mill with booby traps and take my chances and, like, invite all my friends with rocket launchers to come. Uh, (laughs) That's true. All the friends with rocket launchers, those are good friends to have. A lot of differing opinions from the panel, but uh, that's what you have. That's how to survive a Terminator attack. You you actually haven't weighed in. Are you not uh, part of the panel? No, I feel like my journalistic objectivity as a moderator would be compromised if I were to. Are you the Terminators? (laughs) Yeah. You're working for them, aren't you? You're working for Skynet, your Skynet podcast. You know, you know what would also be a good strategy that, like, I always, I always like to to consider when I'm like um, fighting like the undead, like the zombies, are the <laughs> somehow like, like tie an anchor to a Terminator's foot and like drop it in the ocean. Like it might not be killed, but it would be like like stuck forever at the bottom of the ocean, like sort of swimming around and like you know. And I, I would enjoy sort of thinking of that. It you would know, like, be the tuna nator. Yeah, I mean, it would, definitely, it would definitely like you know fuck up some fish. I'm sorry, like, that's that was so bad. I feel like I need to apologize for that. I'm not going to edit it out, out though. You know, I'm not taking it out in post. You know, once again, was... your journalistic integrity. Yeah, absolutely. You you have to know exactly how bad my puns are. Alex Winter, by the way. Uh, Apparently did five episodes of a oh five episodes of a TV show playing uh, King Mole Man in a TV show <laughs> called Saul of the Mole, Mole Man. Man. Saul the Mole Man, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, King. <laughs> that's, a, that's like a voice role, just based on the title of the TV show. I'd say that he's probably the main character. It's a yeah. great. Well, no, yeah. he's not Saul, but he is king. He's you know. He's when king Saul, of- 
When so, I mean, Saul's, Saul's to meet really got to deal with him a whole lot, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, one person we don't have to deal with anymore is Jordan Stokes. He went offline, but thank you to him very much. Thank you to Peter Fenzel for joining us tonight. Oh, thank you. Thank you all. Or tonight, I suppose it's not night necessarily where you're listening to the podcast. We are living in the future. And thank you to Matt Belinke. It's good to have you back on the show. Uh, good to be back. I am Matt Rather. Visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com. Say it. We'll be back. There it is. Hey, everyone. It's Matt again. Just a quick note to say that if you want to leave a voicemail to be played back on the OverthinkingIt.com podcast, you can call 203-285-6401, and we will play your message back on the air. That's 203-285-6401. Thanks for listening.